I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Controlled environment agriculture is the science of growing crops indoors and spans a wide range of growing technologies, from a simple hoop house to a complex indoor vertical farm. With drought and volatile weather impacting outdoor crop production, CEA offers a way to grow crops indoors year-round, eliminating the risk of weather. And I've been a pioneer in CNA for more than 13 years and built and operated one of the first and largest indoor vertical farms. And since then, we have built several more vertical farms in the U.S. and abroad. In 2019, we formed a partnership with Rufipa, a Spanish manufacturer and global builder of greenhouses, to build both vertical farms and greenhouses for our global customer base. CEA is an emerging market and has recently come under criticism. Some report the CA bubble has popped. I say the industry is beginning to mature and is experiencing growth pains. Today, we will meet the CEA Press, representatives from three leading publications that cover different sectors of the CEA market to explore the, where the industry is headed. First up is Jennifer Marston, senior reporter, AgFunder. AgFunder covers startups and venture capital in the food tech and agritech or agri-food tech industry. Jen has several years experience covering the agri-food tech industry and more than a decade covering emerging technologies and startups. Brian Sparks is senior editor of Greenhouse Grower. Greenhouse Grower has multiple platforms, print and digital, with the brand's primary focus on controlled environment greenhouse production, including floriculture, fresh market vegetables, cannabis and hemp. Brian has been with Meister Media Worldwide for 22 years, the publisher of the magazine, and has a degree in communications from John Carroll University. And lastly, we have Chris Higgins, uh, founder of Urban Ag News. Urban Ag News is an e-publication focused on commercial hydroponic, greenhouse vegetables, vertical farming, and herbal agricultural sectors. Chris is a feature guest on the show and presents our Green Ag News. Chris is also the president and general manager and co-owner of Fort America's a wholesale supply company servicing all aspects of the commercial horticultural industries. I thank each of you for joining us in this edition of GreenSense. AgTech is a niche market, but one of the most important because it impacts anyone who eats. So let's start our discussion with a look back in 2022. Jen, we'll start with you first. Mm -hmm. The agri-food tech market is made up of many vertical subsectors. So tell us about some of the key verticals and where CEA fits in. Yeah, so I think uh, some of the key verticals for agri-food tech right now, I mean, definitely in the last year we've heard, well, I guess the last few years, um, a lot about alternative proteins, um, a lot about alternative just ingredient science in general. Um, CEA definitely a huge part of that discussion. And I think one that, uh, you know, probably going to be a lot of debate go going forward this year as as it matures um yeah but i would say uh as far as where cea fits into the agri-food tech landscape um you know i think we know at this point that it's uh, probably needs to diversify in terms of the crops it grows but uh, that's based on uh conversations i've had with a lot of cea growers um and also maybe just figuring out where it's going to be most efficient and most useful in our food system. So agri-food tech set a record for most amount of VC invested in 2022. What agri-tech verticals were hot and which ones were not? 
in 2022? Oh. Well, biotech was definitely hot. Uh, I say that very confidently. I think that's a, a huge emerging new sector. Um, alternative protein started out hot. And then as, as we all know, you know, there's particularly with plant-based, there's been some cooling off of investor excitement, uh, but there is a lot of excitement with cultured meat. We saw Upside Foods get the first ever FDA approval for uh, for its uh, chicken product. And um, we've also seen a lot in terms of uh, just farm tech. So that's, that's not so much CEA as it is uh, traditional in the field farming, um, different, you know, I think John Deere wants to autonomize <laughs> everything in <laughs> traditional farming. So those would and, probably- And not let farmers repair it. <laughs> well, yes, that is, that is, that's a whole podcast of its own to, to, to talk about that. But yeah, that's definitely a huge part of, uh, of agri-food tech last year. So with over $50 billion invested in agri-food tech, what were the top startup deals in 22? Well, there were, I mean, e-grocery uh, at the beginning of the year was absolutely enormous. We we saw, you know, Gorillas and Getir and, and those companies raking in, you know, just multi-million dollar rounds and, you know, total raises well over the billion dollar mark. Um and then we quickly saw that just go away almost not not completely but nearly completely we've seen a lot of those e-grocery and also restaurant delivery companies that were raising these huge rounds in 2021 and at the start of 2022 um those really dropped off i think one of the biggest reasons is we really as a global food system uh some fairly substantially huge things happened in terms of supply chain and the war and uh, inflation, cost of living, all those things. And uh, I think, you know, it becomes a question of where investors going to put their money into something that's fighting climate change or something that, you know, makes it so I don't have to leave and someone will deliver my groceries in 10 minutes. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, that's a little bit of a simplification, but I do think that um, that we did see those kind of more consumer facing sectors start off last year, really, 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 really big. And then, uh, you know, just because of market conditions, um, very different outlook by the time we ended 2022. Thank you. Brian, let's talk a little bit about uh, greenhouses. Uh, define floriculture and the kind of plants that are grown in a floriculture greenhouse. Well, and thanks for uh, having me on the show, uh, Robert. Um, you know, when we look at floriculture, we, we really focus on annuals, bedding plants, perennials, and any floriculture graph that's grown in a controlled environment. Um, that, that's kind of where our focus started from. Greenhouse grow actually emerged as an offshoot of American Vegetable Grower Magazine, one of our other brands a few years ago, when that, that market was looking to expand uh, the products that they can offer on a year-round basis. Um, so those are the kind of the main crops that, that we look at, um, and it's kind of the markets that, that, that we cover and the growers who are part of that market. Um, and talk a little bit about how uh, floriculture uh, flourished during COVID and uh, how was 2022 for floriculture? Yeah, it was an interesting, you know, if, if you look at 2022, I guess the best word is maybe uncertainty. 
um, you know, in 2020, after you had that short period of time where there was, well, there was a lot of uncertainty then as well, but it was more from, you know, are your customers going to be open and are you going to be able to provide your, you know, your crop to your customer? And if you can't, how are you going to hold it for an extended period of time? Um, once we got through that short wave, I mean, 2020 and then really into 2021 was really a great year for the industry. Um, I talked to a lot of growers who just had record sales and uh, did not have any trouble getting rid of their crop. Um, as you as you get into 2021, a lot of the same success stories. Uh, you you started to hear conversations about supply chain issues as the world as a whole was starting to reemerge from the pandemic. And then as you get into 22, it, it, it's kind of interesting. So um, the one of the biggest trade shows in the floriculture market is Cultivate, and you get a real sense of where the industry is by having conversations with growers on the trade show floor. And just about every other year, you go labor is always the first thing that you hear. And you know, that was the case, you know, for as many years as I've gone, 2021 was the first year that supply chain really became the thing that I was hearing about. And then 2022, it was a mixed bag of everything. It was labor, it was supply chain, it was, you know, what's happening with inflation and how that, how is that going to affect my, you know, long-term pricing, both in terms of what I'm paying for the goods that I need, the goods I need to a grow a product, and then the price that I'm also going to get from my customers. So as you look at what happened this year, I think, you know, there's, some of that uncertainty. And I think it's also, it was also a matter of looking at, you know, the industry gained so many new customers over the past couple of years. And it, the, the focus has then become, how do we retain those customers as, as an industry? I think the good news is the sense that I'm getting is that the industry is having more success in that area. If you look at a lot of the studies that are out there, you know, the folks who got into gardening during the pandemic, by and large, are, are staying, or at least continuing that as, as an interest. So that's, that's a nice long-term outlook for the industry, I think. Your uh, magazines also cover cannabis and hemp, and those are both very different markets, each in a different business cycle. What were the key issues facing uh, cannabis and hemp indoor farmers? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll speak more for probably cannabis. There isn't, we don't see a lot of greenhouse uh, grown hemp. Um, on the cannabis side, you know, I think what we're really looking at is, you know, the, the well, number one, you have the, all these big external market forces, oversaturation of the market, and how is that going to play out over, over this year and then the next year? Um, but then also you look at where production is going to be going from an outdoor versus a greenhouse versus a pure indoor warehouse environment. Um, the, the costs for each are going to be different. The quality of the crop is going to be different based on where you're growing is all going to be different. So we're really trying to monitor, you know, especially from the greenhouse side, you know, it, can we continue to manage costs for that type of production while taking advantage of, you know, the, the natural resource that the sun provides for you? Um, that's an area that we're really trying to focus on in this coming year and seeing where some of the, the, the growers and, you know, as, as uh, cannabis starts to become legal in certain ways across different states, how is that going to play into the size of the growers who are getting into the market? You know, we saw a, a lot of interest in the past few years and, you know, the growers that we traditionally focus on, the ornamental growers, either considering that market or starting to get into it. I think we've seen kind of a scale back in that recently, but there's definitely still interest. I think, that, I think they kind of want to see where that market is headed and, you know, how can they respond, whether it's you know, transitioning some of the, their current um, production areas or potentially expanding uh, somehow. But we'll kind of see how that shakes out. Thank you. Well, Chris Higgins with Urban Ag News, as I said, a reoccurring guest on the show. 
Uh, Chris, uh, for those uh, that aren't familiar with vertical farms uh, and and greenhouse uh, vegetable and fruit production, what are the major fruits and vegetables grown in greenhouses and vertical farms? Let's start with vertical farms because if we talk about the majority of what's grown in a vertical farm, we're looking at leafy greens and culinary herbs. So non-fruiting or non-flowering crops uh, would be the majority of what's grown. And that's because you can get those crops uh, to a harvestable state faster with less energy than what you can with a fruiting and flowering crop. If you look at the greenhouse side, then by acre or by hectare, whatever <laughs> measurement we want to use, you're looking at tomatoes being the number one crop, followed by peppers, cucumbers, leafy greens, again, uh, strawberries and culinary herbs. We're starting to see the emergence of other small, small scale crops, but those would be the primary ones with strawberries having the most interest today, but still not a lot of acres of actual strawberry production under cover. As you said, there's lots of interest in growing strawberries and berries indoors. What's uh, keeping them uh, back from being a, a major uh, way to grow them, uh, either in vertical farms or greenhouses? Uh, that I would think depends on who you ask. I, I think that there's probably a desire by the consumer to have a better quality berry, but that desire from the the consumer's perspective is probably price-based as well. How much more are they willing to pay for a better berry at what time of the year and in what region? Um, in order to grow any product in the winter months, it costs more energy, right? So it's going to mean that the product costs more to produce and then sell. So what is the, what's the consumer's appetite for a higher price product? I think is probably a number one question. The number two, then you're going to have some cultivation issues. This is still a relatively new crop in the greenhouse space. This is a relatively new crop in the controlled environment ag space, whether we're talking a low tech or a high tech infrastructure. And we have some yields that we're trying to work through. How do we harvest during certain periods of time? How do we deal with heat? How do we maintain high yields so that we can produce consistent quality over a monthly basis? Um, and then also something that was mentioned earlier when you asked the question to Jen is why, you know, why ag tech, why CEA? Well, much of my background would say that CEA was really we really started because we were looking for locally grown year round. And what has happened, that's kind of shifted. But when it comes to berries, I'm still hearing a lot about that locally grown year round. And we're still learning how to manage the winter months and the summer months with that crop. And part of that's also going to finally come with what varieties are best suited for what regions uh, of production. And we're still not quite there yet with the new varieties. Well, you have a unique perspective on the market. Not only do you publish technical stories on growing and operating CEA facilities, but you also sell products to greenhouses and vertical farms. And that allows you to get into these places, tour them, yeah. and, and meet the growers, meet the owner operators, and hear firsthand what the issues are that they're facing. So what are the key issues that growers and owner operators were facing in both the vertical farm and greenhouse industry in 2022? 2022, the biggest, you know, let's start with upper management and work backwards. Big issues, issue is everything costs more, but yet they weren't able to sell their product for a higher price point, right? So they definitely weren't able to pass on those increased costs to their customers. Um, that was probably the number one problem that I heard most consistently 
2021 and in 2022. Then the next one I would say would be labor and efficiency. Um, as these new farms have come online, let's say there's probably been more acres of controlled environment agriculture production come online than we had skilled labor ready to run those facilities. So the next part would be that we're using too much labor per acre of production. Um, and that's caused there, obviously that keeps their prices high, but that keeps them less efficient. So I think as we started to close out 2022, what I started hearing more about is how can they improve efficiencies? How can they achieve operational excellence? How can they sit, hit some of these numbers that they had set for themselves going into building these projects? And for me, having been in the industry now almost 25 years, the fact that some of the growers missed their numbers is fairly normal. It's been my experience that a controlled environment ag facility, primarily a greenhouse, from the time that it comes online as a new facility to the time it's running efficiently is usually three or four seasons. So the fact that we had a lot of new production space come online in the United States in 2022 and 2021 means that those greenhouses really won't hit their stride. Hopefully they're financed in a way where they can make it this long, but they really won't hit their stride until somewhere, you know, 2024, 2025, where they start achieving those yields that they had it set in their initial budgets. Uh, Chris, you you monitor uh, your readership and the stories that they like. What was the number one story last year? Well, that we didn't actually, we sent a newsletter out what it was. We kind of lied. <laughs> uh, the actual number one story, which it's been this way since we ran the article in March of 2020, was a story on garlic and, 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 and COVID. I mean, we can't, we talk about how you grow garlic and it it has gotten so many views. I don't even think... It, it, I don't even know if it's realistic that we're getting a right count on these views, but um, the number one article last year was actually just defining controlled environment agriculture. So it was an interview with um, Cornell uh, University and their definition of what does CEA mean? Where does that definition come from? Um, because for, for those that have been doing this as long as I have, controlled environment agriculture is nothing new. We've been working with greenhouse vegetable production in an early version of its current state since the early 1980s. But there has been a, a lot more interest, again, from what we perceive to be a desire to understand local year-round production and a higher uh, consumption of fresh vegetables. Um, there's been a lot more interest in it in recent years. But this last year, I think really truly trying to figure out what does this term mean because we saw more marketing using the term CEA instead of previously using indoor ag, vertical farming, greenhouse grown. Those were terms we saw used more frequently from let's say 2010 to 2020. And then we've started to see companies try to put everything into one bucket. And as they put it into one bucket, this definition, this new terminology to the, to the market of CEA came out and a lot of readers were trying to figure out what does that actually mean? Thank you. Well, let's take a look uh, in the future. And Jen, you talked about a lot of economic headwinds in 2022. And as we go into 2023, we're seeing strong economic headwinds for many sectors of the economy. And for farming, we're seeing utility costs on the rise, transportation and labor continue to be a challenge, and some growing inputs are in short supply, as well as inflation. So 
Uh, in your opinion and in your perspective, in 2023, how will rising interest rates impact venture capital investment in startups in agri-food tech? Um, <clears throat> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when we when you know when we think about CEA um, or vertical farming in particular, I think it it ended the year on somewhat of a low note with a lot of companies cutting staff or shutting down altogether. You know, we we started off 2021, or I'm sorry, we started off 2022 with big $400 million fundraise from Plenty. And then, you know, the number of, you know, high value rounds and just and valuations just, you know, plummeted this year. We, you know, solely organic being the exception because they had that $125 million round, I believe it was in October. Um, but by and large, it just, you know, it's not, it's not a, a friendly market to be uh, an agri-food tech startup right now. And I think the the biggest thing, uh, I'll, I'll speak generally, then I'll speak to um, Indoor Ag. Um, you know, I think generally we're going to continue to see uh, input costs being an issue for farmers. I know the uh, Purdue uh, Ag Barometer says that this continues to be a concern amongst farmers, at least here in the U.S. Um, we'll probably continue to see some supply chain issues as well. Um, I would say, and this this started um last year is we are sort of seeing this shift, especially with investment, um, where we're getting more folks interested in uh, kind of the longer term, uh, a lot of folks use the word patient capital. Um, and these are a lot of investments that don't necessarily guarantee a quick return. And a lot of this is investments around climate tech, uh, of which agriculture and CE are a huge part, uh, or can be at least. And so, you know, we are kind of seeing this shift towards that sort of thinking amongst investors, which I think is, is very exciting. Um, and then as far as CEA goes, I mean, I, I think proving profitability is going to be a really big um issue for these companies when it comes to getting investment. You know, we've seen valuations over the last few years just through the roof. And, and you know, I, I would uh, steal a line from a recent post Henry Gordon Smith from Agritecture did recently where he said hype is probably the sector's biggest enemy. Um, you know, we've seen so much hype and so many high valuations and investors just pouring hundreds of millions. And profitability remaining rather elusive, I think. So, you know, as, you know, inflation continues and as in interest rates keep going up, I think that's going to be a major point. Uh, and I, I, you know, unfortunately, I think we haven't seen the last of the shutdowns and layoffs and, and things like that. Um, it's really probably going to come down to whoever can, you know, work to, and I'm sure that uh, Brian and Chris can speak a lot to this as well, you know, whoever can prove this is an economically viable way of farming, whatever that looks like, be it a greenhouse, vertical farm, et cetera, um, those are going to be the companies attracting uh, VC dollars in the new year. As we said earlier, the agri-food tech sector is made up of many subsectors. Uh, which ones are you going to 
prognosticate on being hot for 2023? Still biotech. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, there's, it's just a very exciting space, but. um, What about robotics, AI? I think robotics, definitely. I'd say robotics is a huge part of the CEA conversation amongst the people I've talked to, especially because um, because there are labor issues, as as, as Chris was discussing. Um, how those robotics are implemented, I think, is is a different question. Um, robotics in food service are actually and I'm I don't necessarily mean server robots roving around the dining room you know bringing food um you know automatic make lines so imagine a chipotle line that's just completely automatic and robotic things like that um are gaining a lot of attention right now so robotics definitely I think regenerative agriculture which you know is not a new concept but it's gotten a lot of attention in the last couple years um is definitely going to be a hot topic this year and and a branch of that would be agroforestry uh which sort of started to get some attention and get some funding towards the end of the year and i think that's going to continue as well and those are really part of that climate climate tech uh investment that I was talking about where, you know, I think people are finally starting to kind of shift over to those investments that are happening more upstream in the field, on the farm, in the lab versus um, the consumer facing food delivery businesses and and e-grocery and things like that. Thank you. Uh, Brian, we're seeing price erosion in the cannabis market. The hemp market was the fastest growing bubble and quickest to pop. What's your forecast for these two markets in 2023? Well, um, you know, when you look at cannabis, uh, most of our focus is, is on production. So anything that happens in the facility to grow a better crop. And I really think that that's an area where there is going to continue to be a lot more need for good, reliable information. Um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, when we look, when I look at, I, I focus a lot on our on our digital content and our, and our digital metrics, and you look at the numbers for, you know, where people are interested in information. And you know, as I said, our our direct core audience is mostly made up of of floriculture. So, the the, the cannabis related information that we put out to the to that market you know, doesn't get huge traffic. But if I look at our monthly what uh, numbers on a, uh, uh, I'll, the top fifty stories. 30 of them are going to be cannabis related. And that's with little to no direct push from us. So, and if you dig deeper into those numbers, you're seeing that, you know, not only are their stories generating high clicks, people are spending a lot of time on the page. They're not bouncing from the page. So we're seeing a clear need for, you know, really good information as that market continues to grow. And there's a lot of uncertainty about where it's going to head. You know, it, I think it all goes back to at least for seeing at least the one the, the the companies that are going to survive in this market are going to be the ones who can produce a high quality crop whatever way they do best i think sort of parallel to that and i know you didn't really ask about this but you know on the greenhouse vegetable side i think one of the things that we're focusing on is kind of that same thing you know when, when i talk to you know as we continue to learn more ourselves about this market and i talk to a grower in this industry you know one of the things i'll ask is are you a do you consider yourselves a tech company who is growing a crop or are you, are you a crop producer who is, is using technology? When I have those types of conversations, I really think that the ones who are really focused on that crop side of things 
and how to then incorporate technology into it are going to be the ones that are going to be long-term players in this market, as opposed to a company who, you know, has a technology and then, you know, we'll, we'll use that to put together a crop. I mean, plants are going to do what plants are going to do. So you have to have that, that mindset going into this, I think. What is your forecast for the floriculture market in 2023? So um, it, as if I said uncertainty in 2022, I think it's kind of going to carry over this year. Again, looking at you know how much of that consumer that we gained can we keep. One thing that we're really focusing on as well is you know is the industry going to be able to you know make the the expansions or the renovations that they that they that they've been trying to do. You know, it was interesting. We had a lot of conversations with our top, we, uh, we do a list every year of the top 100 ornamental growers. And we were talking to these growers right around the time that, you know, they were hitting their stride with, with you know, a couple of strong years as we were starting to hear supply chain questions. And we would ask the question, you know, you have, you know, your, your, your profits have gone up. Are you then going to be able to invest in renovating a facility, adding a new crop, expanding your greenhouse? And there was so much uncertainty there. It was kind of, you know, we have the resources, but we don't know if we can get the materials to do this. I think that's starting to ease. So I think that's going to be good news for a lot of these growers, but we'll kind of wait and see. Um, but again, it, it all goes back to really knowing who your consumer is and how you can keep that consumer. We just wrapped up, as and Chris was there about a month ago, our, our second annual Grow Executive Summit, which is kind of a, um, a, a gathering of some of the leading minds in, in, in the industry, some of the leading growers in the industry. And a lot of the conversation went back to knowing who your consumer is, and that's going to kind of determine what your success is going to be over the coming years. Well, Chris, you mentioned that uh, uh, prices are rising at the grocery stores for fruits and vegetables, but a lot of that's not going to the farmers. Who's profiting off of all these high prices? Um, those in the middle. <laughs> so <laughs> the retailers are profiting, the brokers are profiting, the distributors are profiting, the packaging companies are profiting. The, it is not making its way to the farm. The Packer ran an article, um, gosh, the beginning of December, and it talks about the percentage of the dollar, right? The, the percentage of that spent dollar that's going towards fresh produce and where does it stay? And I think in 2021, we hit a all-time low of 14 and a half cents of each dollar spent on produce stays at the farm. The other ends up somewhere else in the supply chain. So that is um, that is something that, Hopefully we see that start to rebound. Really the best time the farm had was between like 2010 and 2017. That was kind of their peak where they kept the most of the dollar at the farm. But still then we weren't talking about significant. I don't think we were past 20, 20 cents on the dollar. So well, I think finding a way to keep that at the farm was when I got into the industry, that's why greenhouses existed. And if you look at the oldest greenhouses that sit in this category of food producing and the ones that are doing the best today, they do not sell through a broker. They do not sell through a reseller. It goes from the farm under the farm's branded product directly to the retailer. Well, there's some help supposedly coming down from Washington. So how will the Inflation Reduction Act, or sometimes called the Climate Change Bill, affect indoor agriculture? Uh, the only way I can answer that question is I don't know. <laughs> um, we, you know, we started to look at that. We've looked at some of the incentives that are being put out there. It's going to change by state. That's for sure. It's going to change how these dollars are deployed. Um, we are actually starting to uncover some very disturbing realities of how this money is going to be deployed based on how 
certain agencies within individual states have started to write laws about sustainability and what does this mean for growing produce? And part of it, the, the farmer's got to take some blame. And I'm using the farmer to describe the greenhouse grower or the indoor farmer. They got to take some blame because when they were asked for comment, pretty much nobody said anything. And for me, if I were to say one of the downfalls of the last decade in the controlled environment ag space was that we got very quiet. We became very individualized as companies. We haven't worked together as an industry to 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 fight any shared goals, right? To go for and go for it as a as a group or as a unit and really work together. And we're seeing now some of the results of us taking this on individually as companies, not setting up the best chance to take advantage of these dollars as they come through. And one one big example of that is in California, when you look at some of the things that were passed in the law about what defines new a new greenhouse. And essentially everything has to have a double glazing, which means if you build a glass greenhouse, you need two planes of glass. That is a huge issue because that will never work. <laughs> but it was written in, in growers were asked for comment, but nobody responded. And so that that's one of the things that we have to make sure as an industry in 2022, as there's more money becoming available for sustainable agricultural approaches, that we work together to make sure that we're setting the right uh, foundation that we can make use of those dollars so that we can make use of those dollars. Well, I'm glad you don't know because there's trillions of dollars supposedly in that bill. So we all need to find out and hopefully that's going to help promote more sustainable farming techniques. Um, This has been uh, uh, very exciting. I appreciate you joining us here. So in closing, I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds. This will be our lightning ride round to share any final thoughts for 2023. Jen, you could start out. What are your, any closing thoughts? Um, <clears throat> well, I definitely agree. We don't really know what where the uh, climate bill funds are, are headed right now. But I, I think for CEA specifically, uh, there is we're going to see more folks asking that question. Are you a grower? Are you a technologist? Pick a side kind of um, a lot of a lot about that. A lot of debate around the role of AI uh, in particular, uh, amongst other robotics, um, is also going to be a big part. And then also questions around what the heck should we be growing indoors, whether it's a greenhouse or a vertical farm. I think there's a lot of debate about do we branch out from leafy greens? Is that worth investing or do we leave growing wheat to academia and labs and stuff? So I would say those are three big things to keep an eye on going forward. Well, to add to that, the World Wildlife Fund put out a report about what we should be growing outside and where we should be growing it. So I think there'll be a collision of uh, forces there. But thank you very much. Uh, Brian, your turn. Yeah, I think cautious optimism is kind of the approach that I'm taking. I think a lot of our industry is taking as well. Um, You know, one thing I think we're really going to focus on is it's going to be all about the people within your company. Um, you know, having the, the the team who can help you grow a high quality crop, having the team who, if you add technology, can use it in the right way, um, who can help you make the smart decisions on where to invest, whether it's adding technology, whether, whether it's adding another crop. And then, you know, as you look at, you know, long term in this market, there's a lot of family run businesses. So where is that going to head in the future? Making sure you have the the talent and then a plan in place to you know, have have a good team moving forward that can benefit not just your company but really the entire industry. 
Um, but I think, you know, as I said, it kind of, it kind of, there's, there's always a sense of optimism in the industry that I'm part of, even with, you know, despite any challenges that you see, you know, growers are going to be here and say, oh, we'll just carry on and, and, and look forward to next year. So um, hopefully that's the case again this year. Thank you, Chris. Last word. Yeah, I would say I kind of agree with, you know, parts of what Jen said and parts of what Brian said is I look forward to, to are you a farm? Are you a tech company? Um, I think that's going to play a big role into the evaluation side, the, the investor side, the, the new business side of CEA, because if you're a farm that spent $50 million to build two and a half acres, you are not going to be profitable. It, that is just, but if you're a tech company, maybe there is a path forward for you, right? So I think we're going to have some real conversations about what, where the money's being spent and why. Um I think if you talk, you know, what Brian just said about optimism, for me, that is also part of the farming uh, heritage, right? Every year is a new year. Every year is a new opportunity. Every year is a new chance to, to plant, to grow something, to harvest something and have success. When I look at what we've gotten to in 2022, whether it's floriculture, as, as Brian knows, I have a lot of family ties in that space, or if it's greenhouse vegetable production, the fact of the matter is, is we have had two really good years, which were a lot of good opportunities for a lot of people within the industry. Um, those opportunities are not going to vanish and go away. What we're going to do now is we're now going to need to work effectively and efficiently with the right people in place, going to Brian's comment about team, with the right people in place to build on that foundation that's already been built. And if I look forward, you know, we hear these stories about especially on the greenhouse sides about, okay, are they financially stable enough to make it? I don't actually pay that much attention to that. I, these greenhouses are built. Someone's going to operate them, right? These greenhouses are, especially the new ones, they are people that are qualified and capable of operating them and somebody will. And if they do it well, there will be a new round of investment that comes through. This is to me a normal process of new investors. What did we invest in? Okay, reset and then invest again. But there's been so much deployed, nobody's going away from it. So I think it's just going to lead to new opportunities, probably a sense of realism that maybe we missed for a couple of years. We were maybe a little bit drunk on our own hype, <laughs> but now we're going to come back, reset. And, and I really look forward to a very interesting 2023, but even looking forward to 24 and 25, um, a lot of new opportunities. Well, Jen, Brian and Chris, thank you for participating in our first Meet the CEA Press show. Great job. We covered a tremendous amount of information in a very short time. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. That's Jennifer Marston, Ag Funder, Brian Sparks, Greenhouse Grower, and Chris Higgins, Urban Ag News, with a look back and a look forward on what's to come in the CA industry in 2023. Green Sense is an independent radio show. We rely on sponsorship and listener support to produce high quality audio broadcasts that promote innovators with sustainable solutions. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense. And check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.